Welcome to the Brewing Shavers Sports Podcast, where for 30 minutes once a week, we talk about all the things that make us love sports. The games, the rivalries, and of course the personalities. We are stoked that you're listening. Uh, we believe that you're more than listeners. Uh, to quote Brian Kelly, you're family. And we're glad that you're listening to us. Absolutely. And now, here's Ben and Darren. Hey everybody and welcome back to another episode of the Brew and Shaver Sports Podcast. And we are so laser focused on college football right now. What a great weekend we just had. Not only did we have college football, but the NFL kicked off. So you literally Saturday and Sunday could spend all day sitting on your couch watching football. And maybe some of you did. I hope you went to church, but hey... (laughs) You know, you still have plenty of opportunity to watch football. And Darren, if you know, I think you're like me, where you record a lot of the games. Oh, absolutely. So the games you don't catch, you can go back and, and watch the highlights. Like we've talked about before, whoever it was in Google YouTube world that created the key plays, Time Magazine Person of the Year, I'd be up for that because you're talking about making it easy to watch a ton of games and get a ton of football. That really does help. <laughs> For some people, it was a holiday. I've heard people say it's the most. Well, I think you said that, Darren. It's the most wonderful it time. Very of the year. much is the most wonderful time of the year. Every single year, you can't beat, especially this weekend, because you had it all day Saturday, Sunday, and Monday night. Absolutely. I mean, you can't beat that kind of a weekend if you're a football fan. Unfortunately, though, not all the news out of this weekend is good. A major change at the University of Nebraska. Scott Frost, who played quarterback for the Cornhuskers, who really, I think, came back with expectations riding high that he was going to restore his alma mater to prominence. It just did not work out for him in the end. He's let go um, after the second game of the season. Yeah, and like you and I, you actually said something I thought was a— Yeah, third Third game. game. You said something I thought was a great point uh, Sunday when you and I were texting about this. You said it was just like it never got off the ground. There were so many expectations, so many things that people were wanting to see. Everybody was in his corner in Nebraska. And even with all of that support, it just never took that next step to be what everybody, including him, obviously, thought it could be and hoped it would be. Yeah, I think everybody was rooting for him. Yes. Uh, The opener... That was played over in Dublin, Ireland. Um, the onside kick is probably going to haunt him yes. for a long, long time. The loss against Georgia Southern, coached by Clay Helton, yeah. former USC coach, was devastating on, on a number of fronts. The way that they lost, the fact their defense gave up 600-plus yards. My goodness. It's, it's tough, and that happened yeah. in Lincoln. Yep. At that point, I think Trev Alberts, the, the AD, said, we've seen enough. This this isn't working. So they've made a change, which means that they elevated a coach with SEC ties. Yeah, which is very, very interesting. Uh, but Mickey Joseph, uh, who has spent several years at LSU as the wide receivers coach, went to Nebraska as the wide receivers coach, has now been elevated to the head coach, which he's a pretty fiery personality. You know, people really, really like that about him when he was here or in Baton Rouge with LSU. That'll be interesting to see what he can do with that team. And it's of historic significance. Yes. He is interim coach, but he becomes the first African-American head coach in Nebraska history. Uh, and that's any sport on, so. on campus, correct? Yeah, a little bit of history there. Yep. So we will watch how, how that pans out. They've got a big one. The Sooners are coming to town. Oof. 
and we'll talk a little bit more about that later. But let's talk about the past weekend. It was full of exciting games. Maybe your team won, maybe your team didn't. But there was not a lack of excitement. We had some major upsets. The Sunbelt Conference, kudos to you. And uh, what a great performance. So let's talk about one of those teams, and that's App State, which has a history of pulling off major upsets. Uh, Someone posted this week, if your home stadium seats more than 100,000 people, do not invite Appalachian State to come. Keep them out of your stadium, no matter what. I wish I could remember who said it. This is brilliant. Just ask Michigan, right? uh, Yeah. And that was back in 2007, I believe. It's it's amazing that that was that long ago. You're talking about having a run. Mm -hmm. Goodness gracious, they've had a run. They have. And and it's a program with a lot of respect, a lot of pride. Yep. Uh, the folks in Boone, North Carolina, they rally behind their team. But no one, I don't think many people outside of Boone saw this coming, going no. into College Station against a, a top 10 A&M team, uh, boasting the number one recruiting class in the country, even yep. though you're still talking about freshmen, how much of an impact mm-hmm. did they really have? We don't know. However you analyze this, this was a devastating loss for Jimbo Fisher and the Aggies. Uh, very much so. It's number one thing that you just mentioned was that everybody's going to be talking about is this recruiting class. You know, D-line, O-line. Now, you and I talked about in our preseason shows that our concern was putting a whole lot of stock in an unknown commodity. Yes, these guys are have the huge frames and they're 6'4 and 330 pounds, but they're also 18 years old and they've got to come in and they've got to learn a scheme. Historically, Jimbo's known for having a complicated scheme. He's, he's, he's going to be a you know, pro-style scheme and it's going to be complicated with a lot of checks and moves and all this kind of stuff. So there's a lot to learn there. And man, it's just not there. The, the two big stats that stuck out with me this weekend with that game are uh, time of possession, which App State, 41 minutes, 29 seconds. They controlled the game, the ball, 75% of the game. That's incredible. That should not happen when you're playing the number six team in the nation, no matter who you are. That should not happen. And then the other thing is total yards, less than 200. They had less than 200 yards total and didn't even average five yards per play. Now, their defense did do some positive things because they kept App State to 3.8 yards per play. But when you're running the amount of plays that they're running because you have the ball for 40 minutes, guess what? You can get 3.8 yards per play and still have over three yards total offense. Something else I noticed, Darren, is it seemed that uh, in the trenches that Mm – App State not only held their own, but was pushing around the offensive line, the defensive line of, of A&M, which is surprising because you might see that early on in a game, but mm-hmm. typically the, the bigger team wears down the other team by the third, fourth quarter. But we didn't see that in this game. No. And, and you know, the big turning point, I think, with that was that drive that started with, what, nine minutes to go in the third quarter? It was like eight minutes, nine minutes, something like that was the length of the drive, and that's game minutes. Uh, and you could really start to see because it was just constant. They were moving the ball three, four yards at a time. They were doing exactly I mean, they were at will doing what they wanted to do, and that was because the offensive line was able to to do what they did to a defensive line that, honestly, they should not have matched up with, much less dominated. I don't know if you can ever take the 12th man out of the game, the influencing the game as they have down there in College Station, but App State did about as good a job as you could. 
Yeah, I, I agree completely because that last, I would say, within the last two minutes when it was obvious, yeah, the amount of people that the, the cameras just kept showing it. People were, they could care less. They were out. They were frustrated, whatever. They were gone. All you saw, if there was white or maroon, you saw their back. And that was it. So <laughs> it, it was kind of amazing how, how big of a difference that made. And, and they really did because it was incredibly quiet. It was so quiet that, that, that what would be a relatively small app state section was really loud. You could really hear their influence, especially during the last part of that game. They had great reason to be loud. Oh, very much so. Very much so. Speaking of this game, let's talk a little bit about Jimbo Fisher, uh, because uh, Barrett uh, Sally uh, posted an interesting uh, statistic, and I heard this also repeated on, on the Feinbaum show on Monday as well, uh, comparing uh, Jimbo Fisher's first 50 games to Kevin Sumlin's first 50 games. Fisher is sitting at 35 wins and 15 losses. Sumlin was sitting at 36 wins and 14 losses. So virtually identical, right? but a far different set of expectations maybe. Yes. Far different financial investments. Very much so. So has the Jimbo experiment failed, Darren? You know, I think at some point you have to be realistic about what you're getting. And when you bring a guy in to be a offensive genius – and, and you're getting what you're getting year in and year out. I mean, look at even last year. You removed that Alabama win from last year. It was a colossal disappointment compared to what's being put into the program. And, and then this year, here you are, number six in the country, and you're being beat by uh, an, an unranked team. I, I think you have to be realistic. And, and, you know, sometimes things just don't work the way you – I know when he was at Florida State, he won a national championship and I had some good years. But, you know, his last year at Florida State, he was five and six. There were already some issues maybe developing there. And, and then has he has yet to have a double-digit win year at A&M? I mean, Mark Stoops has been more successful at Kentucky. <laughs> <laughs> then Jimbo has been at A&M. You started I mean, just early throwing shade today. Well, I, you know, I, it's Did you just, not sleep well last night? You know, I didn't, and, and, and Jimbo, it might have been his fault, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk, uh, you know, to your point, Darren, A&M just dropped. Uh, it's a tough, tough loss. Yep. So they've already dropped a game, and they haven't even entered into SEC play yet. Yeah. Are we looking at another eight and four season? There's nothing that would say that we're not. Because when you look at the, the offensive struggles that they're having, uh, I, I don't think there's a clear number one at quarterback, even though he's determined to, to for it to be that way. I don't think you can look at quarterback play and go, oh, obviously, you know, the, and you're going to have to help me. The the backup that was at LSU, I'm blank on his name right now. Max Johnson. Max Johnson. You know, he's what's the, what was the old 80s baseball? Him, put me in, coach. I'm ready to play. A little John Fogarty. There you go. You know, he's got to be sitting on the bench saying, are you kidding? Can, I mean, at least give me a shot. It can't be that bad. So you look at all of those different factors, and if Jimbo is kind of in that place where we're going to do it this way, this is our QB, this is our offense, I'm calling the play. There's nothing that says he's going to be able to pull off more than eight Maybe nine wins at the most. There's definitely nothing historically that says that. Might be time to relinquish those play calling duties. You know, that would be an interesting thing to see. A Jimbo team with somebody else calling the offense. That would be really interesting. Looking at A&M's upcoming schedule, of their next seven games, they only play one opponent who is not ranked in the top 25. 
next week or this coming Saturday, they have uh, Miami the week after Arkansas. Mississippi State, which very well could be ranked. Yes. They're they're on the edge. I, they're sitting there. Absolutely. Then a date in Tuscaloosa with Alabama, South Carolina, Ole Miss, Florida. It, it's it's going to be a tough road ahead, and we're going to learn a lot about if and, A&M is going to be 8-4 and four or worse, or are they going to finally get a, get past that? And, and, you know, there is enough talent there, and obviously Jimbo has had some good years. And, and it's just like we've talked about before hearing coaches say, well, I didn't all of a sudden just forget how to coach, you know, and that's true. That's very, very true, and you have to you have to acknowledge that for Jimbo as well. But but there's not a whole lot of positive coming out of it right now. Something has to change, whether it be relinquishing play calling duties, whether it be changing up the scheme, simplifying the scheme, whatever. There's got to be some definitive changes made, or you know, it's the old doing the same thing over and over, over and over again and expecting a different result is going to be the pattern that they're stuck in, and, and that's not going to go well. Agreed. Another exciting game from this past Saturday also took place in Texas. In fact, the three games we're highlighting right now all involve Texas teams, and that was the Texas-Alabama game, which I was extremely surprised at how close the game was. So yes. kudos to the Longhorns. Uh, Coach Steve Sarkeesian had them ready. He had yes. a great game plan. Alabama somehow pulled out a pivotal win in a hostile atmosphere. Bryce Young's uh, statistics, quarterback for Alabama, are not earth-shattering. 213 yards, one touchdown. But he did enough, and he showed up in the big moments exactly. to propel Alabama to that yep. one-point win. What, what did you think as you watched this game unfold, Darren? And, and, you know, to me, one of the things that you just said about Bryce Young is, is the most important thing. Did he have a killer day? You know, did he rush for 100, throw for 300, have four TDs? No. But every time they needed something to happen, he put the team on his back and he made it happen, whether it be with his arm, whether it be with his feet, whatever it was, he did it. He answered the bell every single time. And you got to give him props for that. Mm-hmm. I, I, I honestly believe if anybody else is in the in quarterback at quarterback for Alabama outside of him, I think it's a different outcome. The other thing, if I'm Texas, I try to be a little bit guarded about getting to see I told you here we're going to be better than cuz Alabama had a lot of self-inflicted wounds. I mean when you've got 15 penalties for 100 yards when you are less than or actually right at 30% on third down efficiency, you're not doing the things you need to do to put yourself in a position to win and Alabama did not do those things. And on the same side of that, you know, Texas got to be careful you were only three for twelve from for third down efficiency. So Texas didn't come in and blow the place up and almost take down Alabama. Texas had a good game plan. You gotta give them credit. Texas overcame having their quarterback knocked out. You gotta give them credit for that. I think last year's Texas team laid down and gets beat by thirty when their quarterback is knocked out of the game. So I think you have to acknowledge that and give them credit for that. However, I think it's about a 50-50, Texas fans aren't going to be real happy, but I think it's about a 50-50 how much of this was Alabama beating themselves and Texas taking advantage of those opportunities. I think that was about 50-50. I think if Alabama plays a, a closer to, to flawless game like you expect to kind of see them play, I don't think there's any way that this is a 20-19 to game. But still, you got to give Texas props because it was a 20-19 to game. The 15 penalties, Darren, I believe, are the most against uh, a Saban coach yes. Alabama team. Yes. So that was that was pivotal in the yep. game. 
I think there are also some concerns about Alabama's offensive line. Again, yes, definitely. And it does not appear yet this season that the superstar receivers that they become acquainted with, yep. with accustomed to having over the past yep. few years, these are still elite players, but it doesn't seem like those guys are stepping up to that level yet. And, and you know, I think there also has to be some conversation about Bill. Man, I almost said Bill Belichick, Bill O'Brien. <laughs> there has to be some conversation about Bill O'Brien. At some point, you have to talk about the plays that are being called. Alabama's not all of a sudden recruiting three stars. I mean, these are still four- and five-star guys coming out of high school that are still being developed within the same program that they've always been developed within. So what's the, you know, what's the quantifiable difference? And it's the guy putting together the game plan and calling the plays. So I think that at least has to be talked about. If you watch this team over the last two years compared to the Alabama offenses that were called by Lane Kiffin, that were called by and and game plans put together by Steve Sarkeesian. It is a notably different approach. Uh, And and I think think that can't just be overlooked. That that has to be pointed out as something to watch going forward because it's not just an offensive line thing. They all of a sudden didn't just get awful at offensive line. It's not just a wide receiver thing. They all of a sudden didn't just get awful at wide receiver, and they still have a Heisman quarterback back there. So there's got to be something, whether it be scheme, whether it be play call, whether it be a combination of both, there's something going on there that's not clicking right now. Well said. Well said. I think Alabama will figure it out. Yes. So don't count them out just yet. Absolutely not. Now, at late game, and if you're like me, you didn't stay up to watch this game because it started at an insane hour and was over at an insane hour. Yes. Uh, a double overtime victory, an upset, BYU upsetting Baylor. I'd like to say I called this upset. I was just about to say, it seems like somebody called that upset. Who was that? Good on you. That's awesome. Very well and done. Not that I want to get into religion here, but... You know, this was somewhat of a holy war. <laughs> it definitely and it was. appears that the Mormons have triumphed over the Baptists. <laughs> I think you're right. At least for one night. <laughs> At least for that night. That's exactly right. But it was a rocking atmosphere in Provo, Utah. Oh, yes. Uh, really like the effort that BYU made. Of course, Baylor um, is so well coached, the football ninja. Yeah. What a great coach. It, yep. it, it was a it was a game with a lot of heartbreak, but it was a game that really, it was an electric atmosphere. Yep. They pulled it out. You mentioned, Darren, the emotional scene yes. uh, with the, the BYU kicker uh, after the, the victory in double overtime. Yep. Talk, talk a little bit about your observations. Well, the thing about it was special teams, special teams, special teams, special teams. You know, not just, not just BYU, but also Baylor. There were missed opportunities across. Across the board for both teams, but especially one of the most poignant moments to me at the end of the game. Obviously, the the BYU student body uh, specifically are just pouring onto the field. Nobody even tried to stop them. The funny thing was the only police or security, whatever they were, presence on the entire field were close to obviously. Baylor had their own, you know, presence to get Dave Aranda to get their people off the field just because there was so much chaos. But outside of that, you had a group of about 12 guys circled shoulder to shoulder with their back to the goalpost. They were protecting the goalpost. Uh, so that, that chaos is going on. And then at some point, it pans over to the BYU kicker who 
single-handedly had blown six points, mm -hmm. six points that would have decided the game in regulation. There would have been no overtime. He missed an extra point and two field goals. And, and it obviously had taken an emotional toll. And at the end of the game, when they panned to him, I mean, he's obviously very emotional. Eyes are red, obviously upset, obviously crying. And two of his guys, two of his teammates – are there with him in the middle of all that chaos. They could have been jumping up and celebrating like everybody else. Would have been nothing wrong with that. But these two guys specifically, it really jumped out at me, went to their teammate. And to me, that was a cool, this is football, this is teamwork kind of moment. It really stood out to me. It was a very, very cool thing to see. Yeah, you love to see that kind of support for a teammate who's had a rough game. Because we yes. all have rough games, we all have rough days, and it Good teams come together and they support each other through the rough times. So a beautiful moment. All is not lost for Baylor. It was mm -hmm. a tough loss, but they lost to a top 25 team. Right. They've got Texas State before starting the, the Big 12 segment of their schedule. Uh, Baylor's going to be fine. Uh, yes. It could be worse if you're in Waco and you're still mourning this loss to BYU. Just remember that you don't live in South Bend, Indiana, and you're not a Notre Dame fan. It can always be worse. Yeah, you could be. Let's see. We were talking about you know coaches losing their opener and all of these different things. Well, what about being the first coach ever in the history of a school to lose your first three games? That's pretty rough. That's pretty rough. <laughs> That's just about rock bottom. It really, it really, really is. And as you said, uh, weren't necessarily jumping up and down when they hired Brian Kelly at LSU, but a whole lot of Notre Dame people jumped on real quick and was like, oh, we're so glad to get, we'll win the big games. And we'll, yeah, I know it was Southern, but Brian Kelly has more wins at LSU than Notre Dame has this season. Just saying. Just throwing that out there. And Notre Dame still has not won a big game. That's right. And won a game. And they, yeah. Oh. Just saying. That was a very Christian thing to say, Darren. Hey, truth is true. Sometimes you got Well, to add insult to injury, uh, Notre Dame will be without their starting quarterback. Yes. Um, who suffered an AC joint sprain. He's going to have mm. surgery. I think he's out for at least a month. And it wouldn't surprise me if it was longer than that. It might be good for him to have a reset, honestly, because his season obviously had not started out the way he wanted it to. It might be a good opportunity to have a little bit of a reset and come back and start, it up, start again. So hopefully for him. And, and sometimes in moments of adversity, it reignites a flame within a team. And, yes. And, and this could turn into a positive for Notre Dame. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we have uh, our sports pick'em winners to uh, mention from last week and also our picks for this week. But before we do that, let's pause right now for This Week in Sports History. September 16, 1937, the Redskins NFL franchise played their first game in Washington at Griffith Stadium. They defeat the New York Giants in the season opener 13-3. Oh, thank you.
So, Darren, I was looking at the top three of the uh, winners from our pick'em from last weekend, this past weekend, and I noticed your name still does not appear on this list. And I knew you were going to say that because I noticed your name was on the list. <laughs> so that is correct. I will own up to the fact that uh, I called us out last week and said it's not okay that we're not in the top three. We're the guys that are supposed to be doing the studying. And one of us, to use a term I've already used, one of us answered that bell. One of us did not. <laughs> but I am in fourth, if that's worth anything. I'll at least throw, throw that in there. <laughs> but it is awesome that you are in second place. And uh, Matt Hollis, who was in second place last week, has jumped to first place. And uh, JT Moss, or as I've been calling him, much to his chagrin, uh, JT Jazzy Chef, uh, <laughs> is, is in uh, third place. And we've got, got several people doing uh, being a part of it. Uh, and we're excited to get even more like we said last week it is not too late there are people that last year came in three and four weeks in and just about won the whole thing so it is not too late to to get into this this pick them and and join in the fun and see if you can get into that top three and i've got to be happy for matt uh, matt's my dentist and uh, right. if you live in northwest louisiana and you're looking for a dentist go see matt hollis <laughs> and if you tell him and he confirms to me that you did if you just mention eight and four and give me a picture of his reaction <laughs> next cup of coffee is on me we'll post that to social media <laughs> Well, let's get into our picks for this week, and we have eight games that we want to mention uh, coming from the SEC and the Big 12, and what we're going to do this week is a little different than what we've done in the past. We'll each have 30 seconds to comment on each game, and then we're going to move on to the next one. So fasten your seatbelts. We're going to start with Georgia, South Carolina. Darren, you're on the clock. Georgia is Georgia. South Carolina is not. Shane Beamer has mayo on his mind. No way they win it. I don't even need the full 30 seconds. How's that? <laughs> An overachiever. 30 seconds on the clock. Here we go. Look, South Carolina didn't have much of a chance before injuries to two defensive starters. Both ACL tears are gone for the season. Shane Beamer, a lot of enthusiasm, excitement. South Carolina is going to be rocking. Uh, but no, no, Georgia comes out with a big win. Well done. Let's talk about Penn State and Auburn. Darren, you're on the clock. All right. Uh, Penn State, Auburn. I think the key thing here is the fact that we have uh, Penn State averaging 40 and a half points a game. Obviously, it's not a you know against the top most top notch opponents, but 40 and a half points a game, 480 yards, 489 yards per game, uh, and Auburn has been allowing 300, even with again not that most top notch schedule. To me, that lends itself toward Penn State winning this game. Woo! <laughs> I think Auburn's going to win this game. Uh, despite the dislike for Brian Harson. I, I think there's a pride that, that teams in the South have when a school from the Big Ten comes to their place. And they rally around in that moment uh, to, to make sure that they support their team to a victory. I think Auburn surprises people, beats Penn State. Tough loss for James Franklin, but it's not going to save Brian Harson's uh, uh, career. Let me go on the record and say I already don't like this 30-second thing because it made me not use all of my brain, and I picked James Franklin. I can't even believe that just happened. But anyway, go ahead. <laughs> well, we're going to move down to uh, our next game. is going to take us down to Baton Rouge, where Mississippi State is coming to town to play LSU. 
Darren, you are on the clock. Everybody talks about Mississippi State's offense, but you have to give some credit to Mississippi State's defense. That's going to be the real trouble for LSU this weekend. Not only will they not be able to stop the 487 yards per game that Mississippi State is pulling, putting up, I don't think they can move the ball the way you would typically be able to in the past against the Mississippi State defense. They've shown some definite improvement. This is a Mississippi State win. Mississippi State, clearly a good football team, coached well by Mike Leach. Baton Rouge is a tough place to play. Brian Kelly's going to have the troops ready. Jaden Daniels, I think, is going to have a breakout game. Southern doesn't really count, even though he has some great statistics. I think we're going to see LSU start to get things together. It's going to be a close game. It's going to be a well-fought game, but the Tigers are going to pull it out. Nice. So now we're going back to uh, Kyle Field in College Station, where A&M is seeking to rebound against the loss to App State as they host the Miami Hurricane coming to town. Darren, you are officially on the clock. I can't believe I'm picking against the SEC as much as I can, but I think when you look at this, yards per game versus yards per game, Miami is putting up 525 and only allowing 286. A&M has not shown that they can do what they need to do to get things done offensively. It blows my mind to say this, but I think Miami wins this game. Excellent. Excellent. I I have a – Hard time ever picking Miami because of, of episodes from the 1980s and yes. some of the teams that Miami fielded that I was not a big fan of. <laughs> but it's hard to pick Jimbo Fisher in this instance as well. So I'm not picking Jimbo Fisher here. I'm picking A&M to, to rally the team to come together, to send the Hurricanes back to Miami with a loss, to right the ship, go SEC. Well done. Let's move over to the Big 12 games for this week. Uh, The first one takes us to uh, the bustling city of Houston, who is welcoming the Kansas Jayhawks, who just went into Morgantown, West Virginia, on a Saturday night in the rain and pulled out a victory. So Kansas, Houston, Darren, you are on the clock. Kansas was amazing in the victory that they pulled out. But I still, I'm just going to stay on the Houston train. (laughs) We've proven in the past that train might be an issue. I may have cursed them uh, just by pronouncing that they had a train uh, or announcing that they had a train. But I think Houston wins this. Kansas is headed in the right direction, but just not right now. Houston wins this. I was very surprised by Kansas's victory last yes. week. I like what's happening there. You typically don't see this from a Kansas football team, but Houston's coming off of a tough loss in, in Lubbock to Texas Tech. Houston's going to be ready to play. I think they're going to pull out the victory here over Kansas. So let's go over to a, um, a Big 12 team that's actually traveling to North Carolina to play an NC State team that we have said on this program already that we feel is a little overrated. Texas Tech is not in the top 25. But how's this game pan out? Darren, you are on the clock. Uh, I think the difference is the role that Texas Tech is on. I think they are bringing a lot of momentum into this game. Uh, They are throwing up some serious, I mean, 537 yards per game is what they're averaging right now. Regardless of it being subpar opponents, that says something about your offense. I I think Texas Tech continues their role, and they pull this game out against North Carolina State. Whoa, two seconds over, my friend. Oh, I get a two-second penalty. 
That's a 15-yard penalty. Where's David <laughs> Where's throwing the David? flag? We need our referee back on the, on the show. Texas Tech wins. There you go. You made up for it. <laughs> now we're going back to uh, Austin. Uh, I believe UTSA is playing in Austin. Correct. And so, Darren, you are on the clock. This is the one. I'm not even going to look at any statistics. I think Texas is going to deal with the hangover of losing their starting quarterback. They're going to deal with the hangover of everything that was last week. It was a very physical game. I think UTSA stinks up and beats them. I don't have any other reason than a gut. I think they beat them. I'm trusting your gut as well. I believe the Roadrunners. The Roadrunners. The Roadrunners are going to come in and run circles around the Longhorns. Bevo is going to be wiped out by midway through the third quarter. There are no ambles. Looking for the oxygen tank. And so let's go UTSA. I agree. Awesome. So one final game in our pick'em in the Big 12, and this is OU traveling to Lincoln, Nebraska, a traditional rivalry that has so much history in it, but there's a little bit of transition going on with yep. Nebraska. So, Darren, you're on the clock. How do you see this game? Somebody other than Scott Frost is going to be making the strategic decisions, and that obviously has been an issue. I think we have to at least give some some possibility that Mickey, Mickey Joseph really fires the squad up, uh, and, and there's that, that, that move of – of we're going to rebound from from our head coach being fired. All of that being said, I don't think it'll be enough. I think Nebraska makes it a more interesting game, but Oklahoma pulls it out. I agree. On, on paper, Nebraska, Lincoln, it's going to the atmosphere is going to be rocking. They're yes. trying to right the ship. What better way to do that than to beat one of your most hated rivals? Yep. But it's not going to happen because exactly. Brent Venables is going to have the Sooners ready to play. They're going to go into Lincoln. They're going to take care of business. It might not be pretty, but they're coming out with the W. The Sooners continue to roll. Well said. Woo, I think I got to catch right. my breath. Yeah, How me you? too. Did we just like run a 100-yard f- dash? I think we did. I, I think, think we I set did. my personal record, 100-yard dash, 30 seconds. <laughs> well done. That's that's a great record. Usain Bolt has nothing on us. That's right. Well, that takes us to four down territory. Here we go. You're in four down territory. All right, Darren, who's your sure thing pick for this week? Okay, I've already said that I think uh, Miami is going to pull it out and beat Texas A&M, and I gave my reasons why, and I'm going to—it's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Miami is my sure thing pick of the week. How about you? I'm going to go with the Auburn Tigers. If there's one thing that can unite people who don't get along, which there's a lot of turmoil mm-hmm. at Auburn still yes. with their head coach, it's a common enemy coming to town. The Big Ten is coming to town. That's right. Auburn is going to unite. They're going to pull out an, a victory. It's going to be a great moment for their program. And then the next day, people are still going to be working to try to get Brian Harson fired. <laughs> It'll be a great six to eight hours for Brian Harson, right? <laughs> yeah. Enjoy every moment. Exactly. Exactly. What about your upset pick, Darren? Well, if you step out on a limb and say something like UTSA and the Roadrunners are going to beat Texas and Austin, then you got how do you not make that your upset pick? So that's that's my upset pick. 
I think that's a good, strong pick. I'm going to stick with the Red Raiders from Texas Tech going into NC State, mm-hmm. pulling out a victory, hopefully knocking NC State out of the top 25 where they never should have been in the first place. Yes. How about your brown bag pick for the week? All right. So, brown bag pick, I'm going to step outside of what we've some of the games we've been talking about, and I'm going to go with the mighty, mighty – I say facetiously, uh, Oregon Ducks, uh, because they started out this season as a top-ranked, top-15 team, top-10, depending on what poll you saw. And you and I, in our very first conversation about that very first coaches and AP poll, questioned the validity of them being anywhere close to the top 25. Somehow, they are still ranked number 25. So I think this is their brown bag week where BYU rolls into Oregon, hands them exactly what they handed Baylor, although I will say I believe more convincingly than than Oregon or than BYU beat Baylor, uh, and hands them the defeat that knocks them completely out of the of the top twenty five. And that'll be this will be their brown bag week where they lose that top twenty five status. Mm. I like it. I like it. <laughs> Makes sense to me. Yeah. Who's wearing your brown bag? My brown bag is going to one of the flag bearers of the Pac-12. I'm not a fan of this conference, but come on, UCLA. I don't care <laughs> if you think you're a basketball school. This is ridiculous. In their two home games so far against Bowling Green, in a stadium that seats 88,000 people, 88,000 565 people to be exact, they had 27,143 people. That's a capacity of 31%. In their second game of the season against Alabama State, they brought in a whopping 33,727 fans for a 38% capacity. Look, schedule games that your fans want to see, maybe that's the issue. Bowling Green, Alabama State isn't a great way to start off the season, unless you're just looking for automatic Ws. But come on, UCLA, you're going to make a move to the Big Ten, and you're bringing 30,000 people into your stands. (laughs) This is ridiculous. Brown bags all the way around for all the Bruin fans out there. Get out and support your team. This is embarrassing. Yeah. And the fact that you're bringing 30,000 in attendance to $100 million annually, is what you get on your end of the deal. That's a little crazy. That's a lot crazy. There are high school games in Texas that draw more than that. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Well, we've got some promos to remind you of as we wrap up the show today. And and that's our Fanatics giveaway or Pet Pick'em of the Week. And, and Darren, you've worked really hard on these, and I love these giveaways. This is some good stuff that's being offered. So, Darren, remind everybody how to participate. Okay, well, first we're going to talk about Pet Pick'em. Email us a picture of of your, almost said your pup, but it's your pet. Like we said last week, it doesn't matter if it's a dog, a cat, a ferret, a white rat. I don't guess it matters to us, whatever it is. White rat, really? A white rat. I thought you were going to say white rabbit. What is the little, what's the little, little classic rock no, reference? White what? rat. Where did that come from? There's a little white gerbil-like thing that's bigger than a gerbil that I've tried to think a of two pig? weeks. That's the word. I've been trying to come up with. <laughs> two weeks I've been trying to come up with guinea pigs. Apologies to guinea pigs everywhere. You are not rats. You are not white rats, and I apologize. <laughs> but. Uh, whatever your pet is, send us a picture of your pet to bruinshavers at gmail.com. Post it on social media and tag us however you want to do it. And let us know who your pick 
uh, for the, the game of the week is. Uh, and we will share those and not only share those, but pick one. And I have to share the pet pick'em pet of the week this week. And we will share a picture of her on our social media. Her name is Pumpkin. Uh, and she is a Lossapoo, which is part Lossa Opsa and part Poodle. And Pumpkin made a strong case. Pumpkin lives... It sounds like a white rat. <laughs> she is not a white rat. That might get you in trouble. <laughs> and Pumpkin wanted to pick... Uh, Pumpkin loves football. We'll watch it with me quite frequently. Uh, and she very much wanted to pick Kansas over West Virginia this week, mm. and I talked her out of it. So even though that wasn't the pick of the game, she was pretty strong. So we're going to post her with her, her win of... of she was more right than I was. She picked Kansas over West Virginia. But we want to put a ton of pictures out there. We love uh, pets and we love animals. So please send us pics of, of your uh, pet with the pick of the week and this week's game, Penn State-Auburn. So send us your picks of Penn State Auburn, uh, what whoever your pet picks, and we will get those out there and, and select one to talk about on the show as well. I'm sorry, Pumpkin. I know that you're not a rat. Okay, that was that was I was just taking a shot at Darren, not at you. So I hope we're okay. I think Pumpkin will forgive you. She's quite she's quite a love bug. So the other giveaway we have is the Fanatics giveaway, and what we're asking you to do is go into your social media and. T- Make a post about the show or in one of our posts, tag somebody. You can do that on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. You can tag somebody in a comment. Use their handle or username, whatever it is, and, and tell them to, to follow the show. What Anything you do like that, you're entered into a, a drawing for a giveaway of $100. There we go. Fanatics gift card giveaway. And if you're familiar with the Fanatics website, Man, they've got absolutely everything uh, from any team, professional, college, whatever it is. So be sure and do that. You can either, like I said, create your own post or you can just tag somebody uh, in the comments of of one of our posts uh, that we make on on whatever the social media platform is and tell them about the show, tell them to follow the show. And if they follow us on whatever that social media platform is, not only are you entered, but you get a second entry and that person will get an entry as well. So... Again, even if they're not familiar with us yet, they got a shot at a $100 gift card. And we want to just very quickly say thank you very much to Manufacturer's Advantage for sponsoring this. As we've told you the last couple of weeks, Manufacturer's Advantage is based in Louisiana. They're a small business, but they provide service to companies across the United States and have been doing so since 2007. They provide customers with highest level of customer service possible, understanding and appreciating the modern business needs for timely delivery of products and supplies. Give manufacturers advantage the opportunity and they will work to save your company money, effort, and time by providing you the products you use every day at the best prices available and the most expedient service possible. So they have the most expedient service possible at Manufacturer's Advantage, and they also made this giveaway possible by being willing to sponsor it, and we appreciate that very much. And then our third and final thing that we're very excited about is the new text line, 318-390-3599. That's 318-390-3599. I feel like I'm at the end of a commercial. <laughs> I have to, have to repeat it. You have to say it again. But we would love, as we've said every week since we brought this up, Ben and I love talking about sports like we've even talked about during this episode. We will text back and forth. We love having that conversation between the two of us. But the thing we love even more is having that conversation with you guys. Send us a text on the text line, and we will gladly re- read all of those during a, a show. Your thoughts on games we miss 
list, games we should have talked about, games we got wrong, what your team is doing, even if we didn't talk about your team. Tell us what you think about the season your team's having. We'd love to read that and interact with you and have that conversation. So the Fanatics giveaway, Pet Pick'em of the Week, and new text line, those are things we're very excited about because it brings you guys more into the conversation with us, which is what we love. Yeah, text us uh, even during a game. Uh, oh, yeah. We're watching most of the games, and uh, if you want to talk a little bit about how that game is going or maybe how one of our picks is not working out very well, <laughs> um, we'd love to text back and forth with you. Yes. So thank you again for listening. Remember, new episodes drop every Tuesday at 6 a.m. Of course, you can listen at your convenience on whatever platform you choose to listen to podcasts on. We appreciate you joining us for another show, and we'll see you next week. And until then, take care. Have a great week.